We search for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of his word and this world so we may better relate his word to this world. Thanks for joining us. And tonight, as you probably saw the thumbnail, many of you may have heard of Tovia Singer, um, who studies scripture, who looked for you know apologetics and how to explain uh, questions that unbelievers or new believers will have. And there is a there is an entire group of people that that are adherents to Orthodox Judaism or some variant of Judaism. That, that are generically called anti-missionaries because they're basically doing the opposite work of creating a disciple for Jesus Christ. They're trying to uncreate. They're trying to uh, break away or trip up, or as Paul would say in Galatians 3, they're trying to bewitch someone away from belief in Christ and uh, and do a specific arguments. They bring this up, and we're going to look at some of those arguments tonight. I want you to pay close attention. As always, I will be stopping it periodically. It's only about a um, six, seven-minute clip. I'll be stopping it periodically in order to kind of address what he's going to say and how he's saying it. We're going to look at some scriptures as well, because that's the whole point of this, right? We want to we want to test what he's saying and what he thinks scripture says and doesn't say according to scripture. So there's some nuance in here, which is why he's very. People are afraid of Tovia Singer because they think that he's really good at pulling people away from belief in Jesus Christ. But you it's all about how you frame the argument, how you frame the question. And we're going to look at his arguments and see if he's actually framing them from a sense of true, what scripture actually says, or if he's framing his argument according to some bad teachings in modern Christianity that are also unscriptural as well. So that's, that's kind of your huge point that you want to look for uh, when you're doing apologetics. So let's take a quick look real quick. I'm going to turn all the way up. Hopefully that'll help. We're not trying to figure out if this one's a prophet. That's not, we want to know, is a claim, a statement made, is it consistent with the Jewish scriptures or not? That's all. We're not biased or anything. If it's consistent with the Jewish scriptures, we embrace it. And if it's not, throw it out the window. We're going to test that I'm not biased statement throughout this broadcast tonight. So <laughs> here we go. We don't. We don't accept it. The Jewish scriptures is a measuring rod upon which it is the plumb line. It is upon which every claim is measured, period. So we have the Torah. We have the prophets of blessed memory. And it's based on these teachings that we measure every single claim. Okay, this is very important. So here. Did you guys hear that? Okay, so he's trying to give you the standard by which they reason and test ideas, theology, and he's trying to say we have the Torah. Then he also said we have the prophets of blessed memory. It's basically like him saying we have the prophets, right? Like Ezekiel, Isaiah, the people that would, would have written the Psalms and things like that. Moses obviously is a big prophet in high esteem to, for Judaism. As I've said so often on this broadcast, Judaism is not just Torah observance. This is a, the semantic confusion that people get confused by. Jesus rebukes 
those who professed Pharisaical Judaism. He said they were not keeping the law. They were hypocritical because they talked that they said the people should keep the law, but then they themselves did not keep it. They also taught the people additional commands that are not in the quote unquote prophets or the law. In Galatians chapter six, Paul also references that the party of circumcision did not actually keep the law, but were demanding converts to be circumcised. This is what we see happening in the first century rabbinic Judaism that was also considered Pharisaical Judaism, and it still happens today. And there is a, there's a, and I'm going to explain these statements because we think, well, they they keep they uphold the law of God, the Torah of Moses. They, you know, they uh, they keep Sukkot over in Israel. They they celebrate Passover with their Seder meal. But again, there's a difference between doing the behaviors of the law and then adding a whole bunch of stuff to them and then not actually keeping some of the most fundamental premises of the law, which is to believe God and what God does and says to mankind. That's a that's your baseline for what, you know, whether you're truly keeping Torah, which is God's instructions or not. And if God tells you these people are your leaders, these people you should listen to for theology, and he does, and I'm going to go over the scriptures with you, and you reject that and you decide not to do that, then you're not following God. So there's an issue, and we're going to go into this with greater detail, but let's get back to it real quick. Here the church is coming forward with a rather fantastic claim and that is they're saying that you have to believe that jesus died for your sins and if you believe in the messiah came then you're saved if not you're going to hell so we have to ask ourselves a very simple question throughout the entire corpus of the jewish scriptures which is very large the jewish bible is enormous the jewish scriptures is nearly twenty-four thousand passages it's very large the christian bible is a little more than seven thousand it's you know <laughs> guys, don't be. It's a, remember what I talked about framing at the beginning of this. He's framing right now. Okay, he's trying to he's trying to make it seem like the the Old Testament, which is what's generically called the uh, in his mind is called the Tanakh, um, stands for the the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the and the, the Ketuvim, um, which is this, basically all what we would consider the the Old Testament. He's trying to claim those are the Jewish scriptures. So he's trying to actually label them and frame them with cultural identity. And he's trying to make a, a delineation or a differentiation between the New Testament. But he's ignoring the fact that the people that wrote the New Testament, for, except for two books, the, the 25 books out of the 27 in the New Testament were written by Jews, literal, from, from Judea in the first century. So this is the 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 bad framing that we're immediately seeing to try to bolster a sense of uh, diminishment or discredit for the New Testament ideas. But he's this is part of that bias that I was talking about that he claims he doesn't have, but he truly does. So let's look. The keep question going. is, throughout all of the Jewish Bible, how many times are we told? that this one mitzvah, this one commandment of Christianity, that look, when the Mashiach comes, make sure that you accept him and you don't reject him. I mean, I mean, we're told as an example, um, two very critical times, don't eat pork. Leviticus 11, we have in Deuteronomy, don't eat pigs. 
Forget about it, okay? So we do. We, we Six times we're told not to eat cockroaches, insects, and so on. I'm sorry to break it to you, but cockroaches are off the menu for Jews. I know this will disappoint you. What can I say? So you know, cross-addressing is forbidden. That's all. The Torah says so openly. There are many mitzvahs. They were, were repeated many times. Eat matzah on Passover. Give charity. Stranger. Take care of the convert. 25, 25 times in the Torah were commanded to be kind to the ger, to be kind to the stranger. So if this is the case, we have to ask a fundamental question, and that is, if Christianity is saying that everything comes down to this, when the Messiah comes, make sure you accept him and you don't reject him. And if you blow that, you're going to hell. And if... Okay, so this is him. Again, we're, we're into the framing part. Whenever you look at someone's argument, you have to see where are they coming from with this argument? What What is the preconceived ideas they're using for this argument? And he's going to be using... What we would, what we, you probably heard me talk about a lot on this channel, which is considered like a mainstream Christianity, where they use a lot of bumper sticker phrases, a lot of short, short sentences or short little phrases to try to define their faith, and it becomes very vague and it becomes very easily misunderstood from the context of scriptures. Guys, you're watching this on Kingdom and Context. We're all about context. The whole point. Of reading the Bible is that you would read it in context, not that you would cherry pluck it and make little bumper sticker phrases. So he's, and I'm not using this word maliciously, but this is generally what's happening. He's preying upon the bad teachings of Christian churches with their bumper sticker phrases to say, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. The little bumper sticker phrase. What does that even mean? To believe in Jesus equates not going to hell, which means you're going to heaven. What have we talked about in great detail about the definitions of words on this on this channel for two and a half years? Jesus, the whole point of him was to be into a position. The prophecy of Jesus was to come into a position of the priesthood and that was prophesied in the Old Testament so that he could then mediate atonement for you. This is expounded upon and explained even further in the New Testament so that he can make atonement for you and raise you from the dead, which is your literal salvation moment not your salvation of conversion but your literal eternal life moment when you get eternal life literally is the moment of the resurrection and that yeshua provides that through his priesthood for you that's what's been prophesied of the son of god for his purpose to come to the earth to eventually be killed resurrected as the first fruits of the first resurrection put into this priesthood that has the authority that has the name the power to raise you from the dead at the appointed time which is the first resurrection event. That's the moment when you get to inherit Zion. You get to inherit the new Jerusalem, which is considered the kingdom of heaven. This is that whole theological little paragraph I just said is given a bumper sticker phrase in what I lovingly would call lazy teaching in modern Christian churches, where they say, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're not going to be going to heaven or you'll be going to hell. There's lots of people that believed in Jesus. <laughs> they literally interacted with him. The demons believed in him. They interacted with him. They knew who he was. To just simply believe is not the point where that he just exists. This is what James chapter 2 tries to tell us. That is not the point where you're actually getting salvation. 
it does affect your conversion because then at that point, if you believe he's real, then he was sent at just as first John chapter two, I think it's verse 14 or excuse me, first John four fourteen. This is, this is the moment where, you know, that you would believe that God sent his son uh, for you, but there's all this other context around these bumper sticker phrases. But unfortunately this gentleman is preying upon those short uninformed bumper sticker phrases that are missing the wealth of context of the storyline of Yeshua all throughout the scriptures. We're going to go over scriptures, guys. I'm just giving you a brief introduction of what you're listening to because I don't want you to be fooled. If you do that properly, if you do accept the Messiah died for your sins, you're going to heaven. We have to ask a fundamental question. Okay, we can't play games here. We have to ask the question throughout the entire Jewish Bible, the Hebrew scriptures, how many times are we told that when Mashiach comes, Make sure that you accept him and you don't reject him. That means if this is, in fact, everything you could... I mean, Christianity does teach you. You're supposed to be... A, you keep have nice, good morals and so on and so on. James, whatever. But the key is, how many times are we told in the entire Jewish Bible this fundamental teaching, very clear, that if you, when the Messiah comes, make sure that you accept him and don't reject him. We're going to address that, guys. That's that's his fundamental argument. He's trying to say, where in the scriptures, remember what he said before, you have the, the Torah, which is what Judaism considers Genesis to Deuteronomy of the Old Testament. And then he said the, the, blessed, the, the blessed memory, uh, what do you call it? I can't remember what he called it, but basically the prophets, everything after Genesis to Deuteronomy. Even though Moses is a part of the prophets, it's, they, they still, it's their own form of dispensation doctrine, basically. So, this is where he's trying to stage and frame the narrative to say, where in the Old Testament does it literally tell you that I have to accept Jesus as the Messiah or else I'm out of covenant. I'm not going to be saved. I'm not, you know, these kind of, and this is the, the false, he's, he's building up a straw man basically. And, and hopefully that kind of vernacular people that can understand that if you're not familiar with, um, you know, debate language or argumentative uh, breakdowns, basically. So this is the premise that we're going to look at in scripture because not only is it there, it's there in spades. And have you, have you um, watched this channel for any length of time? You've seen us go over many of the books that the ninth century Masoretic text, the rabbis in the ninth century AD. So this is 800 years after the days of Yeshua when they decided to put together a collection of books. Now, many people try to claim they had a canon, even uh, they had a, their own Jewish quote unquote, Judaism canon uh, during the first century AD. Um, this is the claim that you have from different people. But even within those books, it's it's debated because of various scholarly internal debates. But the point is, Judaism put together a collection of books that they called the canon. Of course, they rejected the New Testament books because they rejected Yeshua, even though they literally, you know, the prophets, the uh, rabbis and the Pharisees in the first century AD literally uh, maligned Yeshua's character. They, you know, they uh, slandered him to the point, even unto crucifying him on the cross. So they met him face to face and rejected him anyway. But anything that came after that supported Yeshua and tied all this back to the Old Testament, which is all the disciples had to, to deal with. They didn't have a New Testament. So when they're going out and making converts to believe in Jesus, they're using the Old Testament. This, that, you know, simple argument is something that gentlemen like Tovia Singer completely ignore. 
they completely ignore the fact that in the first century AD, the disciples who believed in Jesus so much so that he was so real that they did see him resurrect, that they were willing to die for him, those guys went out and converted thousands and thousands of people in the surrounding areas to belief in Christ, and they did not have the New Testament to do that. They had to explain him from the Old Testament. And we're going to look at why it was easier back then than it is today, but it's still possible today. But it's because there has been some changes made by the same fraternity that this gentleman is in. So let's keep going. And if you reject them, you're going to hell. How many times do we have that? And the answer is zero. Never. There's not one place ever in the Jewish Bible where we're told that warning, if you want to not eat cockroaches many times, eating pork a number of times, but there's not one time in Tanakh where it says that when, Mashiach, when the Messiah comes, make sure that you accept him and don't reject him. And the question is why? If No, that's completely wrong. In fact, let's take a look at just how long that is. Um, let's go to... Oh, man, there's so many. But let's go to Malachi 2, okay? Because what is the storyline of the Messiah is that he was to become a high priest. This is why Hebrews chapter 7, or actually the entire book of Hebrews, expounds upon this with great detail. This is why the disciple John in 1 John mentions us confessing our sins to him. This is why Paul in 1 Timothy 2, 2, 5 talks about him mediating between man and God. This is why Yeshua himself talked about receiving all authority in heaven and earth. And these are concepts that have context to them. And the context that that is a part of him becoming a priest means he gets a name. He gets a position of authority underneath the father's authority. This is what the priests had. This was the role for the priests. Let's look at some scriptures, okay? Well, this will literally tell us this, all right? So if you want to know, there, I, as let me stop for a minute. Make this very clear, guys. As Tovia Singer saying, yes. There's no specific verse in the Old Testament that says, believe in Jesus or you're going to hell. That's the straw man that he's trying to pose. It says that concept in a whole breadth of other context of applicable ideas that the, that the law and the prophets have already explained to us. So to make the statement, because the scriptures do not specifically say that I have to believe in the Messiah when he comes for salvation is not just lazy. It's, it's downright. If he truly believes that statement, it's downright ignorant of the actual old Testament. And I'm not trying to be mean to the guy, but I'm not going to mince words with people that are literally making people twice the son of Gehenna. Okay. The guy, need, everyone in this camp, and as you're going to see later, I, de I debate with an actual rabbi who does the same kind of stuff this guy does. Everyone in this camp that, that are a part of these anti-missionaries are doing nothing but, but seeding doubt in, in believers who do not yet know the word. So my prayer, my goal, my passion for you watching this broadcast is that you learn the word so that these people can't confuse your brain because they're just taking stuff out of context, just like the Baptist church might be doing down the road, just like the Episcopal church or the Lutheran or the whatever. They're just taking it out of context for their own purposes. And this is what they've been doing because they have the veil over their face, as mentioned in the New Testament, in refusal to believe 
Yeshua. This is not a simple, like he tries to open up and say, look, I'm not biased. If it's there, it's there. No, no. It's a literal, just like the guys who stared, who stared Jesus in the face and refused to believe him and watched all the miracles and refused to believe him. Those people still exist today, guys. And we're listening to a guy who is of that crowd. And he's refusing to believe out of personal deception that the enemy has deceived his mind and his heart. So this is not something where I'm going to show you the words. Let's put them back on screen. Where the father tells us that we are to literally believe the priests that he gives us. This is very important. And he tells us as he's reprimanding the priesthood in Malachi chapter 2, he tells us here, let me uh, let's highlight this in verse 4 through 7. He says, and then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I've gave to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. That's his authority. Yes, we can be in reverence of his literal spelling of his name. Uh, well, you know, in Paleo Hebrew, whatever you want to, whatever you want to argue, but it, the context of being in his name is you're walking in his authority, which is what the priests were given to do to walk in his authority. That's how they can be in reverence of his name and be called faithful so he says, verse six, true instruction was in his mouth. Speaking of Levi the, and also the priesthood, this is the whole point. He's talking to the priesthood in the context of Malachi. It says, true instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. That means he's doing the commandments, guys. He's walking in uprightness. He's walking in right behavior, noble and right behavior, which is the commandments of God. And, was, um, and he turned many back from iniquity. Hallelujah, right? That's amazing. We're getting some interesting uh, information about um, one of Levi, you know, the, the third-born son of Jacob, right? He says, he walked with me in peace and uprightness. He turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. This is super important context for people to, to grab a hold of. Super important. In fact, let me pull this down so you can see just how important this is. You guys see this? You guys probably have seen this on my channel, the introduction of my channel. This is a context tree that we created for our channel to explain to people what our channel is about. We review scriptures and theme, these major themes that you see in the context tree. And if you look at the bottom left here, you can see the priesthoods is a part of the context tree. If you understand the priesthoods all throughout the scriptures, it will you will better understand the Bible and it will not be difficult to read. So this is my passion for everyone, is that you understand what, what Yahweh is speaking to disobedient priests in Malachi 2, and he's reminding them of their great-great-great-great-grandfather Levi, from whom they came, son of Jacob, about how he was righteous and he did do what was right, and he did his priesthood properly. But these guys in the days of Malachi are not doing their priesthood properly. They're being reprimanded. And he's reminding them that they are the messengers of the Lord of hosts. It's just crazy. Jehovah's Sekenu, right? They're the messengers of Yahweh because they're the ones that are supposed to have true instruction, which means the Torah on their lips that the people can learn from and can seek that knowledge to understand. So therefore, if you cannot acknowledge the priesthood for what they are and who they are, then when the son says, I'm going to, when the father says, I'm going to send my son to be a high priest, immediately the context of this 
is that he's going to have power and he's going to have instruction and that he should be listened to. He's someone, he's considered a messenger. Anyone that's a messenger of Yahweh that's not listened to is rejecting Yahweh. This is a fundamental principle of the Father sending angels and prophets and priests and everyone in the Old Testament in order to communicate messages to mankind. Fundamental. So let's go look at the promise that we see um, in Psalm 110. And we're going to read about the promise where it says right here. If I can, if I can get it to... My mouse is messing up. Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay. So it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion. Who? Wait, who is this? The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion. What does it say at the very beginning? The Lord said to my Lord in the Hebrew, that's Yahweh said to my Adoni or Adonai. So this is Yahweh speaking to somebody else who's in rulership. This is what's promised. Remember Matthew 28, 19, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, Yeshua. This is the father speaking about to his son. And this is a prophecy of this that we see explained in Psalm 110. It says, sit at my right hand until I'll make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Guys, this happens when he returns with Zion during the millennial reign. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power in holy array from the womb of the dawn. Your youth are as the dew to or as are to you as the dew. We're going to actually look at the Septuagint as well because it's a little little better. But the Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You're a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. This is speaking of this person that Yeshua, excuse me, of this person Yahweh is saying, "I'm going to make you rule the midst of your enemies, and I'm going to make you a priest." Pretty amazing, right? So let's look real quick at um, this particular passage here in the Septuagint, because in the, the original Greek, which was this translation comes about about a thousand years before the Masoretic translation. It says, with, with thee is the dominion of the day of your power and the splendors of your saints. How interesting, huh? Does King David have saints? And this is what the Jews will say is that Psalm 110 is about King David. This is what not, I shouldn't say the Jews. I should say this is what rabbis, modern-day rabbis, would say Psalm 110 is speaking about. Oh, it's just speaking about King David. Did King, did King David have saints? Was King David a priest? He says, I've begotten you from the womb before the morning. Well, this is pretty interesting. So let's look at the, uh, and then he says the Lord, and same thing in, in the Septuagint. The Lord swore and will not repent. You're a priest forever after the, Macor, the order of Melchizedek. This is a concept that I have I, <laughs> I've tried to communicate so thoroughly is that the Old Testament gives you the most simplistic answer to the argument of, of, of modern-day Judaism, specifically from rabbis who say there's nothing in the Old Testament that tells us to believe in Jesus. They are intentionally ignoring the entire idea of the priesthood intentionally the priesthood is the embodiments of the messengers of the lord of hosts they're the ones on the ground that are supposed to be teaching the torah faithfully and, and correctly so they can create disciples among the people and this is what yeshua came 
doing that. And then he is, is attacked by the Pharisees who were not doing that, who had absconded the priesthood. And that's actually going to be in my identity, identity crisis part two that I've been working on. But that's, um, and that's where I've been, I've been reaching out to uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah Gordon to try to get him on, but he's, you know, I'm not getting a lot of response, but uh, the point is there's, there's a lot going on here with ignoring a huge point of context in the law and the prophets, Moses and Aaron, literally we go through Leviticus chapter eight, this whole moment of Aaron getting the crown on him as a ruler among the people with Moses, but yet Aaron is in his priesthood position. We see in Numbers chapter 16, two years later, Korah and the rebellion of the 250 other men, they try to take away that position of leadership and uh, messenger to be the messenger of God, right? To communicate words to the people that Moses and Aaron held. They tried to take away that and they tried to basically do a mutiny. And then, you know, God took them out because they were not the ones appointed for that position of power. And they were rejecting the ones that were appointed, Moses and Aaron. They were rejecting that leadership position. These two gentlemen that were supposed to be the mouthpiece for God, both of the Levi's, uh, the tribe of Levi, and they wanted to step in that role for themselves. And the father took them out because they were rejecting the father. They're not just rejecting <laughs> this position. They wanted anyway. So this is this is what happens with Yeshua. Oops, I'm sorry. I actually hit a hit something. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you um, for the compliment, whoever that was. I'm sorry I didn't get to read the whole thing. The chat's going pretty fast. Um, so basically, let's go uh, to Zechariah 6 real quick. And this is another prophecy from another prophet whom this gentleman that we're listening to tonight, Tovia Singer, said he believed in the prophets. Well, do you really? Because let's look at what the prophets say. And this was a unique prophecy here um, that Zechariah was told by God to do this little moment, this little like uh, stage play moment with the priest and, the, and the, the governor at the time in order to symbolize this idea of uh, a future prophecy of the Messiah. So let's read it real quick. Zechariah 6, 11 through 15, it says, it says, take silver and gold, make an ornate crown and set it on the head of Joshua. That's in the Greek, that would be Jesus. And then the uh, Jehoshua in the Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And then say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, a man whose name is Branch. And in fact, in the actual Greek, it actually says East. He um, says, for he will branch out from where he is and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he will bear the honor and sit and rule in his throne. Thus, he will be a priest on his throne. That's what a high priest was supposed to be. They were a ruler over the people. They helped with judgments. They did the, the Day of Atonement concept and bared the sins of all the people. That's, a, that's an honor and a responsibility given to a ruler of the people. And it says, and now, um, thus, he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. Because remember, guys, you had the, the kind of the split with Judah and Levi, where Judah was supposed to be prophesied to go on to, to have leadership position among the tribes um, from a governing standpoint. And then Levi was going to be through his lineage was going to come to priesthood, which are also rulers, but from an actual service ministering unto God standpoint as well. So slightly different variation. But with Yeshua, there it's always been prophesied that they would be bring both back together with Yeshua. And that's what we're reading right here in Zechariah chapter six. Um, let's go back to Tovia real quick and we'll, we'll look at a few more things before we look at more scripture. 
if if what the church is telling us, if what the Christian Bible is telling us, if what the Jews for Jesus is telling us, if what the Southern Baptist is claiming is true, ah, the Jewish scripture should be filled, pregnant with such warnings that when the Messiah comes, make sure you accept him and don't reject him. This is more straw man, guys. This is more straw man. He's ignoring the context of all these things I've been explaining to you which is everywhere, just like he's complaining that's not there. It is there. It's everywhere in the Law and the Prophets in the Old Testament. It, <laughs> if this is not a willful denial of what's in the story, of what's in the Law and the Prophets, then it's an ignorance, which means he shouldn't be a rabbi to anybody. I mean, we should find John 3.16 in somewhere in the Jewish Bible. And believe me, if you do, it's in First Enoch, but that's a... If it was there, all Jews would be in the church. We should find John 17, 3, somewhere in Deuteronomy. I, mean, I just read it in Psalm 110, 1 through 4. I mean, like, what is God a joker? I mean, God playing a game? He, like, never told us such a thing? John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou have sent. By the way, this verse shows clearly that the earliest Christians did not believe that Jesus was God, because the word there for only is manos, which means to exclude all over. So the and Razor Queen is, is bringing up something. I was This is actually my next point, so I'm going to highlight this uh, comment and, and talk about it real quick. Saying, what Mr. Singer's thoughts, what are Mr. Singer's thoughts on Isaiah 53, the extremely detailed prophetic scripture describing the first coming of the Messiah, where Jesus as the humble, long-suffering Messiah as the word made flesh. I agree with you. Razor Queen, but it's even better than that. If I could lovingly add to what you said, okay? So it's even better than that because what have I just been talking about was the priesthood. So if we go to Isaiah 53, we actually see the priesthood <laughs> being explained, but you have to understand the language of the priesthood and you have to understand what's actually, what what's going on with this priesthood idea and what are they talking, you know, what, what are the roles and what's going on for people that stood in the place of the priesthood? So, yeah, in the, the famous passages about how he's going to be tortured unto death, uh, you know, silent like a lamb led to the slaughter. He's assigned a grave with the wicked, lowers priests to crush him, right? That this was made himself a guilt offering because this is symbolic language of processes of the priesthood. But then he also explains that yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. This is this is verse 12, Isaiah 53. It's something people rarely talk about because they're so you know, enamored by the, the previous 11 verses, which are amazing in this chapter, right? So many people, uh, and a lot of people don't know this, but in modern day Judaism in Israel, they actually do not read Isaiah 53 to the people intentionally. There's an entire documentary about it. This is what you're looking at highlighted on the screen, guys, is priestly language to bear the sins of the people. This was the job of the priests. He, you're literally being told in Isaiah 53, 12, that this suffering servant that we've been reading about, who's considered the righteous one, the arm of the Lord, this guy will be in a priestly capacity. He's interceding for transgressors. This is your day of atonement day for the high priest to do. And he himself bore the sin of many. Let's go to, uh, I think it's Leviticus 17, 10. And we'll look at... Um, Excuse me, it's, I got it backwards. It's Leviticus 10, 10 17. And let's look at uh, this idea. For Aaron, 
Moses talking to Aaron, explaining to him, Aaron didn't do something because he was upset his two sons died. He didn't have the right heart about it. So he, he didn't eat of the sin offering like he was supposed to. And Moses tries to confirm him about it. He says, why did you not eat the sin offering at the holy place? For it's most holy. And he gave it to you to bear away the guilt of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord. Guys are reading about the process of how a high priest bears the sin of the people. So it's probably for another show I'm going to be doing here in the later, you know, then in the weeks to come about whether or not Yeshua eats meat in heaven. But you're reading the eternal law in Leviticus 10, 17 about what a high priest does in order to bear the sins of the people. So this is it's right there in the law. God did not give a different set of instructions for the priests on earth than he did for those on heaven. It's the same righteous law. It's the same behavior of the father that he gave an even greater expectation and responsibility he gave to these priests because they're mimicking what the Messiah is going to be doing forever. This is why Yeshua is promised in Psalm 110.4 to step into a priesthood position forever. So this is, this is what it means in Isaiah 53.12, talking about the suffering servant who is to come that will bear the sins of the people. That's He's going to do a priestly process. He's going to be the high priest who ministers in the heavenly tabernacle. This is what we're explained in Hebrews chapter 8, but Let's go back to Telvia real quick. The, the author of the book of John is clearly laying a distinction between uh, the Father, God, and Jesus, the Messiah. But the key is it doesn't say it anywhere. It doesn't say one place when Mashiach comes, make sure you accept and reject him. It's We're going to go over the scriptures where it did until his fraternity of guys took it out. And we've got proof of that from the second century. I'm going to show you in just a minute. It's not been that, like anti-Christianity. Oh, we hate Christianity. We don't like the way the word sounds, the way it's spelt. We don't like his haircut. That's not it. It's just the, the claim of the church that the Messiah has to come and die for our sins is found nowhere in the Jewish Bible. Therefore, we're going, that's, that's, that's abject nonsense. That's inconsistent with the Jewish scriptures. Now, I want to just for a, and therefore we don't accept it. Now, I want to just exp help people understand this point. I want to just ask you a question for a moment. Listen very carefully. I'm going to go ahead and pause it just for no other reason to, than to break the brainwashing technique that he's employing right here. This is a stage technique. This is a orator's trick. This is something that people who are professional speakers know how to do. This is something that's, and it doesn't mean it's always bad, but I'm just breaking it up for you. This is something where you say something, then you say, I'm going to tell you the rest. You pause. I need your attention. You pause. Because this is important that you get this. You pause. You develop a cadence, and that cadence is a form of brainwashing. I'm not saying it's it's intentional malicious brainwashing. It's a speaker's technique to draw the audience's attention. But it's intentionally employed to make certain points that you do not want people to question you on. So I'll go back. I'll stop pausing and, uh, and go back to what he's talking about now that I've broken his cadence for you. The belief in the coming of the Messiah in Judaism is central to our faith. It is. It's in fact of the 13 fundamental principles of faith. So the 12th that are outlined by Monides that have are mo the most well-known creeds 
guys, what he's talking about right now, just in case you're unfamiliar with, he's talking about Maimonides, um, or sometimes called Rambam in the 12th century AD. 12th century AD, not the days of Moses, not the law and the prophets, tradition. You know, the same stuff that Yeshua reprimanded the Pharisees for putting over the scriptures in Mark 7 and Matthew 23, the traditions of men, all through Matthew 10 and a whole bunch of other places. He, that's what he's doing right here. He's repeating something from a 12th century rabbi, it's generically referred to as Rambam, who had these, these articles of tradition that they were to follow. It's basically like a hermeneutical principles that they follow. Um, and this just another thing that causes them to ignore the plainly written words of the prophets for their traditions. So this is what he's, this is literally, he's literally telling you how he's filtering his information right now. Of the children of Israel is we believe with perfect faith that the Messiah is coming. So I would think, I mean, there is a, a belief of the Jewish people that we believe that the Mashiach with complete trust is coming. So the question is, why? Let's forget about the Christian claim for a moment and just ask the question. We have many passages about the, what will happen when Mashiach comes. It's all over the prophets. So why doesn't it say anywhere in the, I mean, let's forget Christianity. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. <laughs> um, man, there's there's many of them. Uh, Second Ezra, so we're going to go over that book in a minute, one that they intentionally left out in the 9th century AD of their canon. Um, he was an actual prophet and priest. The pre priest Ezra prophesied Yeshua, the son of God, um, and how he would actually be rejected. So, yeah, what he just said, another complete either intentional lie or ignorant, misinformed statement, uh, which would completely nullify his title for rabbi. And let's also forget the notion that the Messiah will die for our sins, which is found nowhere in the Jewish Bible. Isaiah 53, 12. Yes, that's what I, that's what we just explained, that he would, he would, it goes on for verses 1 through 11 to explain how he's going to die. And then explains he's going to do priestly role, which means he has to be alive to do that. He's, we have Psalm 110, 1 through 4, which tells the Father, says to this guy, sit at this other person, the Adoni, the Lord, this the Messiah, the one that was sent, that servant who's sent, Isaiah 53, 1, and also Isaiah 52, 8 through 10. So in the prophet, one of the most revered, renowned prophets of Judaism, Isaiah, he's actually telling you that, yes, he's going to be sent, he's going to be killed, and then he's going to do priestly duties. Right, he's telling you this. And of course, we've got Psalm 110 telling you he's going to be a priest, which validates Isaiah 53, 12, as well as he's going to sit at the right hand of the Father, which means he's sitting in a place of authority. Literally in verse 2, Psalm 110, 2, he's going to rule. And that's given to him by the Father, as the passage explains. It's literally all there, literally in just two, two verses. There's so many other places you could find it in ancient Jewish writings that they did not put in their canon, especially the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs, First Enoch. But just within the ones that they want to accept and believe is true, it's it's still in there all over the place. In order to, to read it and comprehend it, you have to understand the context of the words being used specifically about the priesthood. And you're going to see both the first and the second coming all throughout the Old Testament.
gospel. Now, Christians will point to some texts, but those texts have nothing to do with the Messiah. They have, they're talking about something else, and those texts are misappropriate. But I'm not, I don't want to go there now. I just want to stay with this point. The question is, forget Christianity. Let's say there was never such a religion. Why, in fact, doesn't it say somewhere in Tanakh, watch out, when the Messiah comes, please God, it'll be soon, make sure that you accept him and you don't reject him. I, it, it does, and we're about to go over that in about two minutes. I would think, logically, that when, please God, Mashiach will come soon, that when the Messiah comes, I would think it would be a very good thing to accept him, and if, if he comes and you go, I don't accept you, you know, go home, that would be a bad thing. Okay, you got that? That means forgetting Christianity for a moment. I would think it would be just a, a good idea in God's eyes that when the Messiah comes, that we accept him and don't reject him. Why, in fact, doesn't it say anywhere in the Jewish scriptures that when Mashiach comes, make sure to believe him? Okay. It does, and it did. But some of your uh, colleagues and your uh, specific cult called you know, rabbinical Judaism, they actually took those passages out of the prophets. And we have proof of that. So let's look at that proof. So this is from Jeremiah. He says, blessed is he who was before he became man. Now we cannot find this in modern day Bibles, not in the Greek Septuagint, not in the versions that we have, nor in the Masoretic books. This is a guy from the second century and his writings have been preserved to claim. He's claiming to new converts. Jeremiah made this quote in the prophecies, in the writings of Jeremiah. Blessed is he who was before he became a man. This is, of course, matched all the theological teachings of 1 Enoch 48, 2-6, John 17, 3-5. Do you, do you remember Tovia Singer saying, there, why isn't John 17, 3 expounded in the prophets? Yeah, it was. It was. They took it out. Colossians 1, 15-17, and Revelation 3, 14. There's another example of a missing prophecy that early church fathers talk about that are not in our Bibles today. It's Irenaeus again. He attributes this statement at the top to Jeremiah. And the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, remembered his dead, which after time fell asleep in the dust of the earth, and he went down unto them to bring the tidings of his salvation to deliver them. Justin Martyr repeats the same concept with slightly different wording about the same idea and says this was what Jeremiah said. So we have two witnesses in the second century claiming the same thing from Isaiah that we do not find in our Bibles today. And Justin Martyr claimed that he remembered it to say, the Lord God remembered his dead people of Israel who lay in their graves, and he descended to preach to them his own salvation. This is, of course, is 1 Peter 4, 6. We also have another example here in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 8, of, of a little phrase that's directly taken out of the prophet Isaiah that Irenaeus, the second century bishop in Spain, is trying to teach his new believers in Jesus Christ directly from the prophet Isaiah, and he says in Isaiah 50, verse 8, he claimed that it used to say, Who is he that enters into judgment with me? Let him stand against me. Who is he who is justified? Let him draw near to the Lord's Son. Woe unto you, for you shall grow old as a garment, and the moth shall devour you, and all flesh shall be humbled and abased, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in the highest. Now, in the modern, both Septuagint and Masoretic texts, this highlighted phrase in yellow, draw near to the Lord's Son, has been removed from the text. Here's another example, Irenaeus again in the second century. He claims Isaiah said this, and on those who serve me, and on those who serve me, a new name shall be called, 
What did we talk about before about this name idea, guys, that's associated with the priesthood? It says, which shall be blessed upon the earth, and they shall bless the true God. This is how we in our priesthood, the same priesthood that Yeshua is put into, all the saints were the saints under the leadership of Messiah. He's in a priesthood, and at the resurrection, we get into a priesthood, and we serve the Father, Yahweh. This is not in the Sept. This this passage cannot be found anymore in the modern versions of the Septuagint or the Masoretic. Here's another example. Irenaeus attributes this to Isaiah as well. No mediator, no angel, but the Lord Himself saved them because He loved them and spared them. He Himself redeemed them. This is already speaking about priests. That would be the mediators of the Levites or the angels who are their own priesthood. But he says the Lord himself saved them. That's what we see happening with the storyline of the prophets of the Messiah. And we have one, one other example from the prophet and high priest in the days of Nehemiah. This guy's name is Ezra. And in the Greek, it calls him Ezra's. So just in case you're wondering. But Justin Martyr in the second century says that Ezra said to the people, this Passover is our savior and our refuge. If you have understood and your heart has taken it in, that we shall humble him on a standard and therefore hope, excuse me, and thereafter hope in him. Then this place shall not be forsaken forever, says the God of hosts. But if you will not believe in him and will not listen to his declaration, you shall be a laughing stock to the nations. Tovia, if you're watching this right now, brother, the reason why you think there's nothing in the Old Testament that you've called the Jewish scriptures, because that's the way you've been taught to frame it through your training in Judaism, is because in the ninth century AD, and actually starting, honestly, starting in the second century, because this is the testimony of the early church fathers, including Justin Martyr, was that in his day, men from your ilk, the rabbis of rabbinical Judaism, were literally taking scriptures out, and they were not including some books in the canon that they now call the Jewish canon, the Jewish scriptures, because those verses magnified and venerated and validated Yeshua of Nazareth as the Messiah, as the Lord's son, Proverbs 30, verse 4, Psalm 110, 1 through 4, Zechariah 6, 11 through 15, all of Isaiah 53. The Lord's son who sent, 1 Enoch 48, 1 Enoch 61 through 63. The Lord's son who sent, 1 Enoch 105, 1 through 2. The Lord's son who's sent. All those passages, whether it's a book or a small snippet, were removed from what you today are calling the Jewish canon. Therefore, you're dealing with a an incomplete deck of cards. No wonder you think that, and you've been in a part of your training is the brainwashing to think that if it's not in the Tanakh, then it's not there. Then, then I can't believe it. Well, literally, that's why they tell you that because they've taken stuff out. We have literal historical proof that they've taken stuff out. 